and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, mm -hmm. our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, greetings brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup where Dives and Al ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This week is October 30th, 2022. We're bringing you episode 31, where we have Mormonism with Murph joining the podcast this week. Glad to have him. Um, in the news this week, we've got John DeLynn and the Open Stories Foundation are being sued. The LDS Church Canadian Tithing is under scrutiny. Was BYU an Idaho student called on a mission against her will? We'll find out. And the legend RFM is going to be joining us next week. So welcome, everybody, especially my co-host, Dives, and our guest, uh, Murph. Yeah, welcome to the Mormon News Roundup, Murph. Thanks, uh, thanks, Dives, and Al. It's great to be with you. It's an honor. Yeah, happy Halloween to everybody. Happy Halloween. You betcha. Now, uh, Murph, you've got an extremely... Uh, fa uh, you know, you've got a very famous YouTube channel there. It's one of the fastest growing YouTube uh, Mormon YouTube channels in Ireland. I understand. Is that the case? I, I would say it's probably one of the only Mormon YouTube channels <laughs> in Ireland. So it sounds like a big uh, accomplishment, but probably not so much. But uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's going OK at the minute. You know, it's starting to slowly grow. Now, when did you uh, start that YouTube channel? And I, I also understand that you just recently hit the 500 sub milestone. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I began it, it was around the end of June, start of July. So this past year, I had been doing a PGC to become a primary school teacher. And it was like a very intense year. And then as soon as I finished, you know, I wasn't working. And I was thinking, what am I going to do with my time? So then I thought, hey, why don't I start a start a YouTube channel? Um, so yeah, it's been going for about nearly four months, and just hit 500 subs last week, which you know, it's still small, it's still slowly growing, but you know, I'm kind of happy with, you know, hitting that small milestone. For sure. That's a really big uh, amount of growth. It sounds like you found a, a real good audience there. Um, so what do you hope to accomplish with your, uh, with your YouTube channel? Yeah, so, so my motivations for starting the channel, um, I think, I think there's different motivations. So I guess if I'll maybe quickly share maybe my, my background. So I, I grew up in the church. Uh, you know, I, I would have said I had a testimony as a young man, you know, was active, served a mission. Whenever I was 22, I went through a faith crisis. I encountered lots of things with church history and, and things with the truth claims that really harmed and pretty much destroyed my testimony. Mm -hmm. So I, I lost my faith. I left the church for a period. And then at age 23, I would have what I would describe as kind of a, a spiritual experience. There, there were different factors that caused me to to reconsider and to you know sort of be spiritually open again. So I felt like I had an experience that called me to come back to the okay. church. But I still so, had so you had like a, a revival of some sort. Yeah, kind of like a spiritual awakening, you could say. Um, okay. but I still had all these sort of questions and issues, and there, there were still all the problems that, you know, people who leave or critics point to. And there are things that I put on the shelf. There's been things I've been trying to go to maybe uh, more faithful podcasts or apologetics um, over the years since I've been back. But really what, what prompted me over this past year is I've had a lot of family members and friends who have left, who have a lot of the same issues that I had. And I sort of realized that I, I don't have great 
intellectually satisfying answers and a lot of these concerns are real concerns and as i've been doing more research into like apologetics and listening again to like more critics like diving back into it again i've realized that there's things that i need to really confront uh, so that was sort of a motivation to try to be kind of fair objective and to try to look at both what critics have to say and what faithful apologists have to say and try to be neutral and kind of unbiased as I navigate my way through looking at different church history topics and truth claim topics. So that's kind of the motivation for my channel. Yeah, and now uh, that's uh, we've linked to uh, in our show notes, uh, Mormonism with Murph. We've linked to his YouTube channel in our show notes. And um, Murph, what has been the reaction to your channel so far? I would say for the most part, it's been pretty positive from both sides. You know, I've had uh, a lot of people saying that they really appreciate my content. They appreciate, um, you know, the research I'm putting in. They even appreciate that I'm trying to be balanced and I'm trying to show both sides. Um, you know, there's been some people who have said in some of my videos, oh, like really good video, but which side are you on? Like, are, are you in, are you defending the church? Are you... Uh, against the church so I, I try to eliminate my bias in my videos it's it's hard to do that obviously but I try to be kind of neutral um, there's obviously be some people who are extreme on either side of the believing spectrum those who are very orthodox believers probably don't really like me because I'm talking about controversial things and those who are very extreme on maybe the ex-mormon side who are very against the church probably don't like that I'm trying to be fair or show any sort of faithful perspective to things but all in all it's been mostly positive well you'll fit in really well here because that's uh, exactly what we try to do uh that's uh, actually our the, the target that we aim for is to have people wonder um are we faithful members are we ex-members you know where do we stand that's what we would like to see so yeah um, and, and you kind of yeah, want to eliminate you've done that <laughs> yeah, you want to kind of eliminate, you know, the us versus them mentality. You know, there's yeah. there can be a lot of division on which side are you on, a lot of, you know, polarization. And, and you want to be more about dialogue, transparency, <laughs> openness. Let's discuss these things in a fair, balanced and respectful manner. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, you don't want it to harm people's relationships. You can still have that respect and understanding. Yeah, you've been able to uh, bring uh, some really uh, big name guests on your uh, podcast or on your uh, your channel. Uh, do you have a, a secret to landing some uh, big time guests? <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I've had um, uh, Brian Hales, Dan Vogel. I've, I've just done an interview with uh, Stephen Harper. It's not been aired. It's not been released yet, but he's a BYU professor and historian. Also people like Robert Boylan. So uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I was super pumped and excited whenever I was able to land some of those people to come on. Um, I, I don't know if I would say I have a secret. I think, honestly, it's just reach out, hope, maybe say a prayer. And, uh, um, you know, if, if you offer to maybe promote their books or something, then that might be it. But, uh, no, it, it's been great uh, having people like that who've been willing to come on and to just have a, a dialogue and to be willing to be asked the tough questions. And I want to try to hear, you know, perspectives from both sides. I think that's good, especially for people who are more in the middle, who want to hear both perspectives and to, to make an informed decision on some of these matters. Yeah, um, for it, sure. It's been awesome to, to know the people I've been able to meet and, you know, have dialogue with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 
Yeah, it sounds like you don't have a secret to landing big guests. It's more sacred than secret. Is that accurate? Or I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, okay, no, okay, forget that. That 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 doesn't make any sense. Maybe, maybe in the case of one of my guests, because uh, one of them was a bit hesitant, and then I did actually say a prayer, and then change of heart, he came on. So hey, don't uh, don't don't play the power of prayer. <laughs> hey, you uh, now. Uh, so the focus of your channel is, um, you know, it, you know, I think about like Nemo's channel there, which is on you know fact checking. Yeah. Is that what you're trying to do? Are you a fact checker? Are you a truth teller? Are you a, a seeker? What what exactly, what what exactly are are you doing in your channel? No, great question. I would say that I am definitely a seeker. My goal is not to be an apologist. It's not to just outright defend or try to prove the church is true. Uh, but neither is it to be a critic or just try to say all the problems and try to show how it can't be true because I've listened a lot to both sides. And I sort of feel for me to, to come to terms to navigate my way through, I want to I wanted to almost do both. I want to be both the critic and be an, an apologist. I want to present both sides and really just come to terms with sort of like the, the truth as best as we can know on a particular issue and the different interpretations or conclusions one can draw. Um, and really my goal, it's not to harm anybody's faith or is it to necessarily uh grow their faith or try to bring them back so it's yeah i think my intent is to be kind of neutral and balanced but yeah i'm i'm a seeker like i'm open to you know finding more truth and i, I want to be critically minded sort of think critically of both sides and to look at what's the strengths and the weaknesses of their arguments and the information they're presenting how credible are the sources so yeah, that's kind of my goal at the minute. Well, that's uh, tremendous. Now, is there uh, before we get going into the news articles for this week, is there anything else that you want to tell us about your personal life or, or religious background before we uh, hop into the news articles for the week? Uh, no, not really. Like I think I kind of alluded to that. But if your guests are wondering, I am still currently active and believing. Like I'm, I'm still in the church. But me coming on, I'm, I'm someone who's happy to have a conversation, a dialogue, and. I do not feel the need to outright defend the church whenever I feel like um, it, it's not a defensible position. I, I'll share my views and my my thoughts. So it's, yeah, I'm excited to, to come on and for what we're going to discuss. Oh, that's great. And I understand also that you have the uh, Mormon News Roundup Joke of the Week. Is that correct? I do. I do. Okay. Are you ready? You betcha. Ready to go. So why was baby Jesus not born in Ireland? Um, <laughs> I, I, th this is a good good joke coming from Murph, so uh, I have I, no idea why. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> because they couldn't find a virgin or three wise men. Oh, 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 no. uh, oh man. That's good. That's good. Okay, you're going to fit right in here, Murph. Uh, and by the way, I kind of have a follow-up joke of the week, and that's that BYU, I don't know if you guys watch the football then, but they lost again last uh, week to East Carolina. That oh. makes four straight losses for the uh, for the BYU Cougars. And, and that also kind of reminds me that, uh, you know, somebody sent out a meme that says that there's uh, actually four things that adults shouldn't believe in anymore. Number one is a tooth fairy. Number two is Santa Claus. Number three is the Easter Bunny. And number four is the BYU football team. <laughs> so, um, We're growing up. 
Yeah, well, we're all growing up. Uh, now, the ways to get in touch with us, we've linked to uh, Murph's uh, channel, uh, his YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch with uh, uh, Al and myself, you can come over, over to uh, www.mormonnewsroundup.org or uh, send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org. We're also on Twitter and we're also on YouTube. If you get a chance to leave us a, a like, uh, leave us a subscription, uh, rate us with a five stars, we would be very grateful for that. And that brings us to our featured news article of the week, which was uh, brought to us by C cbc.ca and this was a mormon church in canada moves one billion out of the country tax-free and it's legal so this was posted on october 27 2022 and the money collected for charity in canada is transferred to latter-day saint universities in the united states and this also went along with a, a kind of an expose by the fifth estate which is kind of a kind of like a 60 minutes type uh, organization in canada which reports on does investigate journalism and the basic premise of this uh, entire program is that they're saying it, they're basically arguing from my perspective that they're saying the church in canada is actually a uh, is it a religion that dabbles in business or is it a business that's also a church and this is really making the rounds here to, uh, what, what do you think about this uh, particular article Murph? yeah it's definitely been interesting one thing so i watched uh well, I read the article and I watched the, the YouTube video. It was about 45 minutes. And as I was watching it, the the guy from Canada, Nigel Kennett, I was looking at it and I was like, he looks so familiar. And I, I just kept looking. I was like, the name looks familiar. And then when he said he was in Calgary, the light bulb went off and I actually served in his ward. And I've actually sent him a few messages since uh, in correspondence. And yes, he was oh, in wow. one of the wards <laughs> that I served in on my mission because I was in Alberta, Canada. Uh, wow. I didn't know him too well. Um, I think he might have been either semi-active or less active. So we never like went around their house for dinner, but I definitely saw him at church a couple of times. And I think we went and knocked on their door. So that was, that was cool. So Canada is obviously, you know, I love Canada. I love the Canadian people. Uh, mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. You know, some of the things that I noticed was that, so between 2007 to 2022, so over the past 15 years, uh, I believe that, nearly 50%, I think that figures 46% of the tithing donations left the country to go to to BYU. Uh, and that was something that I know was a big surprise to Nigel that because as far as I understand it, they are tax exempt, you know, mm -hmm. they and and they get a tax sort of like, what, what do you call it, like a rebate or like a yeah what, what's tax that credit. Uh, uh, tax uh, credit. deduction yeah deduction yes. yeah there you go yes uh, and they probably were under the impression that all of the tithing donations would go towards you know charitable efforts and humanitarian aid in that country and that nearly 50 percent has been going to to byu which technically is illegal or legal sorry because legal it's kind of like a loophole it's like a loophole yeah. because <laughs> Um, they're allowed to send it to international countries, according to the article, for if it's like an education or university institution mm -hmm. that Canadians can go to. Uh, so Canadians can go to BYU, but I think it's only a small percentage, was like a couple of percent or 1,400 that yeah, the, are the, Canadians at BYU. Yeah, so it's less than 1% of the BYU students are Canadian. But yeah, you're right, 1,400 of them. And it's yeah. less than 1%, but yeah, uh, the church says, well, it's benefiting uh, Canadian students, so uh, it's legal. Yeah. 
Yeah, nobody is accusing the church in this article or in the uh, YouTube video that went with it that they've done something illegal. I mean, the church is on the up and up on this. They're they're taking advantage uh, from wisely. In some ways, you could say they're wisely taking advantage of the Canadian tax code. You know, when I file my taxes, if I have a loophole or if I get a deduction or if there's something I can do to reduce my burden, my tax burden, I take it and I don't give it a second thought. Exactly. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Well, you have kids. I mean, they're their deduction, right? Um, sure. You know, take it. Uh, you could be like me. I don't have kids and uh, not take a deduction. Um, I, you know, it would be illegal for me to take a deduction since I don't have kids. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is perfectly legal. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I guess the reason that this is kind of making headlines now is that this wasn't really known to the Canadian saints. Like you said, Murph, uh, you knew Nigel, the so-called whistleblower here. And he thought that he when he was giving money to the church, you know, back in the uh, 2010s time frame, he thought that that was going to, I don't know, humanitarian uh, reasons or, or church upkeep or, you know, various things that are mostly in Canada. And now it's come out from this article. No, no, a lot of the money that you were sending to the church that was going to BYU for mostly non-Canadians, and that has rubbed some, uh, especially Canadians, the wrong way. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I think this is another example of the, of the church not being fully open or transparent about their financial dealings. And, and we all know about, and it talked about this in the video, you know, the $100 billion they have in the Enzyme Peak Fund. And, you know, nobody knew about that until a whistleblower came out with it. And it causes people to think like, because, yeah, you kind of presume that all the money that you give in tithing is either going towards, you know, temples or meeting houses or it's going to charity. And it's it can surprise members when they realize that it maybe isn't going where they thought it was. And they can feel like, you know, the church should be more transparent about their their finances and how the money is is being spent. Yeah, and I think one other thing that this article brought up is that uh, Canadian, some Canadian saints also, there's uh, and also non-saints in Canada, they're saying, well, why are we giving uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a tax break for this Canadian donations when it's going to BYU? And remember, BYU, a lot of people perceive BYU to be an anti-LGBTQ organization. So why is a tax credit being given to the church in Canada to subsidize what they a lot of people and this is like a Kate uh, Bahen of the Charity Intelligence uh, there in the article. It says you know BYU is openly anti-gay. They shouldn't be receiving a tax credit, even though it is technically legal. Yeah, I know um, Nigel said that um, the tax that they're not having to pay. So didn't he say it was around two hundred eighty million or something that the government is losing that they could be putting towards like healthcare funding, education that they're losing in in tax credits yeah uh, and, and that was something that I, I didn't think about like they could be using a lot of that money to better their own country as opposed to it you know going down to BYU in the USA yeah I mean the spirit of the Canadian and which is also the spirit of the United States tax law is you give your money to a charitable organization like a church or the Red Cross and you get a tax deduction on that because you're helping your fellow citizens you're helping the people around you because that organization is going to I don't know be be doing something with that money that helps alleviate human suffering and is taking the role of what the government would have to do 
Well, that's not really what is happening in this case. That money is being taken and given to BYU, and that doesn't really help the Canadian government or the Canadian citizens, only just a couple of students at the three BYU universities. So they're saying, you know, it's not really in the spirit of uh, the tax exemption to have something over a billion dollars over the course of the last 15 years being taken out of the country, given to BYU, and affecting very, very few Canadians, uh, Canadian citizens. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the, the big problems that they have is, you know, typically the way it works um, is, uh, let's take a, a Catholic family, for example. They go to church, they donate um, their tithing to the Catholic church. Uh, Catholic church in their local diocese will run a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter or a, a free clinic or hospital or something. They take that money and use it to uh, to feed the, the hungry or to shelter the homeless or to, you know, heal the sick. And so the the government doesn't have to subsidize uh, that much that's been uh, given. Um, so when the LDS church comes in, they're just like, okay, you know, this is how it works. So that's what's going to happen. And so uh, these uh, LDS members are going to donate their tithing to the church. The church is going to turn around and benefit Canadians. Um, what has not happened is benefiting Canadians. Uh, and so the, as a result, the um, Canadian government has to make up that uh, that loss for that where that billion dollars could have gone, that uh, the the Canadian government has to come up with that other billion dollars, and so it puts a big strain on the government's uh, finances. Yeah, so I mean, does does the church have an ethical obligation to have more transparency? They they I don't think that the church has a legal obligation to have more transparency either in Canada or in the United States. Nobody is arguing that the church has violated the law in at least in Canada and the United States, but is there an ethical obligation to provide greater transparency? That is in my opinion the million dollar question. Or the, or the billion dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I would say yes. <laughs> I, I would agree with you. I think transparency in, in all aspects, when you like when you look at, for example, things to do with church history that we weren't aware of and the church has been forced with the Internet and that the information being accessible and those people going through faith crises, they're now trying to move towards being more transparent, you know, bringing out the saints volumes, gospel topics, essays. So we can't hide these things and especially when it comes to church finances and people donating 10% of their income i i feel like the members sort of deserve the right to know where their money's being used and it's being used in a responsible way and the way in which the members would feel happy about it of course like the church can control where the money goes but i think it's worrying if they hide something i think openness transparency is what there should be yeah, and I, we don't. People think they either need to be a hundred percent transparent or not transparent at all. Because right now, basically, the church only discloses transparency. I would say that the church, my estimation, would be that they're like five percent transparent. You know, but mm -hmm. you don't have to be either 100 percent transparent, which literally where you show everybody your ledger line at all times, you could literally log in and see exactly where your tithing is going. And, you know, you don't have to show you know the exact amount that every apostle is paid and how much the health care costs and every you don't have to go to 100 percent. 
but you can go somewhere in the middle of more than what I think is about 5% now. You could up it to take, say, 25%. You could make steps forward. Remember, we're not living in 1860s Utah anymore. Our modern-day generations, you know, the millennials and the Generation Zs, they're used to posting everything on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram about what they eat, who they're hanging out with. People are just more used to being more open in, in our modern-day society. And the fact that these leaks come out from this particular article and from Mr. Nielsen with the uh, Enzyme Peak, if the church would just get in front of these things, it, it would just look so much better. And since they're all coming out anyway, I don't see why why the church is trying to hold on to that last couple of percents of transparency. No, I think it looks more suspicious if they're not being open and transparent. It's better to be because then people might even come to more um, stronger conclusions that might not might even be the true case there there might be more conspiracy so it's, it's better for them just to be open and transparent uh that they shouldn't even if they're not fully transparent it would just i think help a lot of people to feel better better about things mm -hmm. yeah and i think the church is acknowledging that um you know they they've started started to come a long way, um, starting with the gospel topics essays. I'd say is about when they started to realize, well, we gotta, you know, own up to some of this and be a little bit better about it. So then they released the Joseph Smith papers uh, not too long ago, and then the new volume that they have uh, Saints uh, that they've been releasing. So they're they're making progress, but uh, slowly but surely. Yeah, and this article also talks about uh, the LDS Church uh, Australia's charities, and it's supposed to be one of the biggest uh, uh, charities in Australia, but uh, the Aussies are not seeing that in their communities. Um, the LDS Australia Charities, according to this article, has a budget of $100 million per year, and they're supposed to be spending $70 million of that within the country of Australia, but they don't even have any paid employees. So you have a charity that has a $100 million budget. You have no employees. Uh, you, you know, People in Australia are saying, you know, um, we're concerned we are not seeing that kind of uh you know effect in our country just like the canadians weren't seeing the, their effect in their country the aussies are saying we're not seeing the effect in our country so we're starting to see a bit of a pattern here of the of the church in in various different countries that is not that is taking in money getting tax exemptions and uh not uh, people are just not seeing the normal effect that you would see uh, lds charities australia should be one of the largest charities in australia but their footprint is absolutely minuscule mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, funny that you got. Um, uh, is there uh, discontent in the colonies again? Uh, is there going to be an uprising? Well, this time it's not going to be against the monarchy. It's going to be against the LDS Church. It sounds like because uh, yeah, the, we need to. Uh, the, the LDS Church has been doing the same thing in Australia, and the Aussies are not happy about it uh, because you know in Australia, um, tithing is not tax deductible, uh, but charitable uh, donations are. They just don't automatically consider tithing to be a charitable donation. So the Aussies, they really expect it to be going to some good, and it's not. Right. And that brings us to our second article, which these dovetail into each other. And this is from the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, published on October 29, 2022. And it says, uh, and again, the Sydney Morning Herald, that is one of the biggest papers in Australia. That's kind of like the New York Times for Australians. Yeah. And a front page article, Mormon Church invests billions of dollars while grossly overstating its charitable giving. So it says the church has amassed more than $100 billion in tax-free in a tax-free fund that invests in multinational companies as a former member describes as business dabbling in religion. So there's a difference between these two articles. In the Canadian article from the Fifth Estate, no one is accusing the church of any wrongdoing. They're just saying that um, 
ethically speaking, it seems like the church could be doing better. Mm -hmm. But the Sydney Morning Herald, this is different. They're saying oh, yeah. they're grossly <laughs> overstating the charitable contributions. And there's already been a lawsuit that's been launched, as we covered earlier in the Mormon News report, from Simon Southerton and some other people that are suing the church over um, the 70 million that they're supposed to be doing. I mean, we, we've got a, a big mess on our hands here. Yeah, and what I found in this article, like the LDS churches, is like, well, trust us, we're we're saving it for later. We're we're going to need it, and they, the church keeps saying, well, we're going to we're going to use it when the Lord tells us to use it, and in the way that the Lord tells us to use it. But you know, uh, so eh, yeah, okay. Uh, but at some point, you guys show something, right? And still, just like, well, we're going to hold on to this uh, perpetually, because one of the things that we're finding is that. The LDS Church is one of the hugest landowners uh, globally, even. I mean, definitely, the, by, by and far, the biggest in the United States. But out, outside of that, the, the church is ridiculously wealthy. So I wonder if, you know, they're trying to roll, uh, roll this rock forward and fill the earth by buying up the earth buying up all the real estate <laughs> <laughs> well elder bednar he was asked about it asked about that same that same thing that you brought up al at the national press club briefing back in may and uh, he said hey what's wrong with saving money for a rainy day uh he said everyone should have a, a savings for a rainy day uh and, and is is there anything mm -hmm. wrong with saving money uh murph yeah it, it makes me think of uh is, who, who is it who's the uh the bishop um the general uh authority who's like Bishop Cause. Cause it, yeah. And I think his explanation was, you know, he sort of uh, referenced the parable of the talents and how like a good sure sort of like multiplies their talents, you know, maximizes the resources they're given. You know, it doesn't just bury it. So you could see that maybe some of their their investments in the stocks and, and, and companies, you, you could see that as, okay, they're, they're trying to uh, multiply what they, the funds they've been given from, from charity. And and from uh, tithing donations, you could say, well, well that's good. But yes, they when, are. <laughs> but when you look at, I think having savings is is good to an extent. But when you maybe contrast that with, you know, Jesus saying, "Give all that you have to the poor and come and follow me," and when you look at that over the past thirty five years, I think it's around what three point five billion they've given in humanitarian aid, which which is a lot. Like we should commend the church for what they've done. Like that's yeah amazing. They're always the first mm -hmm. to show up if there's like a natural disaster a pandemic or, or things like that but at the same time when you look at how much they have i in my personal view they could be doing more um charitable work i think that's what was sort of the core of jesus's life and teachings and ministry uh, and when you see that they spent you know a lot of money invested on like the city creek mall that can that can concern a lot of members that uh, and i know the church would argue oh that didn't come out of tithing but like the surplus from the investments but it can still you know bother people that you know i think we should get back to using more of the resources to help eliminate poverty and to do more humanitarian work yeah, so like for the City Creek Mall, that's what the first article brought up, that the church said, well, we didn't, you know, none of the City Creek Mall, which somewhere between $2.5 billion and $5 billion for the City Creek Mall, uh, that didn't come from tithing. It came from the investments of tithing. So if you take the tithing, you put it in the stock market, the gains from the tithing, you use only the gains, not the principal, the gains from the tithing from the stock market and other investments, you use that for City Creek, well, then you can say, 
that technically speaking, it did not come from tithing, but only from the capital gains of tithing. And that for some people um, is, shall I say, somewhat unsatisfying of a distinction. Yeah. yeah. For, well, for this being a rainy day fund, I mean, it's always raining on somebody somewhere on the planet. Um, you're right. Always written here. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. You have a you're on the Emerald Isle for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. So the uh, when it, the church is very quick to step up when there's a big disaster. But there's a lot of localized disasters where the church just, you know, doesn't really care. I mean, local disasters saying like, you know, a husband loses his job and so then the breadwinner for the family all of a sudden doesn't have income. The church says, we'll pay your tithing and then, you know, go to the bishop and the bishop will give you food. And, uh, you know, rather than saying, well, you know, if you don't have money, you don't have to pay tithing. Or, you know, uh, we've had a, a uh, you know, a, an illness in the family that has just been so expensive and um, you know, we, we ha aren't able to afford these things. And, you know, the, the church just kind of says, well, it's tough. <laughs> well, if you think about the rainy days that have happened in, since the last few years, the 2008 financial uh, panic, which is where the, the stock market lost, you know, trillions of dollars, it was a huge you know, disaster. All, all kinds of firms went under. Well, there was a disbursement from Enzyme Peak, according to Lars Nielsen, during that panic attack, but it went to bail out the church's insurance company. It did not go to any of the members. And if you think about the pandemic, that is the ultimate rainy day. I mean, I can't think of a, a, a bigger rainy day in my lifetime than the pandemic. And was there a disbursement from Enzyme Peak only for the Boy Scout sex abuse scandal and not again to members? And I just want to read this from the article. Lars Nielsen, who's the whistleblower, said, how is it possible that the people seem to be giving billions of dollars every year and the church is never spending anything on charitable education or religious causes none of it is going to any of these programs it was a black hole end quote and um that's you know it's one thing to ha save money for a rainy day that is wise that is smart but we seem to see be seeing rainy days that go past us and especially in members uh, own lives in their own particular lives and um there's just there's never an, there's very very little help that comes out yeah, it, it really seems like the church office building might be like Scrooge McDuck's vault at this point where you, know, <laughs> you can just go diving around swimming in there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to ask you, you know, uh, Murph, do you think that the um, that the church, you know, there's a lot of mega churches in the United States, especially in the south, uh, some of these, uh, you know, southern mainstream and evangelical Christian churches that have thousands of members. Is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is that the only Giga church in the United States? Well, I, I believe it's it's certainly the wealthiest one. You know, having hundred billion in Enzyme Peak Fund, so it, it's a very wealthy church. It owns a lot of companies, a lot of land, or it's got a lot of stocks in companies. So th they are very, very wealthy. And like as I said before, you could you could view that as they're being smart and they're maximizing their resources and they're, they're doing more with what they've been given like the parable of the talents, but then someone else could see it as, well, you know, remember the, the story of the widow's might and she cast in like a really small amount into the treasury, but Jesus sort of like commended and praised her because that was like all she had. And it, I think the question for a lot of people is, could the church be giving a lot more? I think we've seen that in the past year in 2021, they gave what was it, about 900 million or so in humanitarian aid, which was a big increase from the previous years which is probably because of the backlash that they've gotten over not doing as much because they have so much. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely a, a very wealthy, wealthy church. 
Yeah, the, the issue I have with that last uh, claim, yes, the church uh, did claim more uh, charitable givings this last year in this humanitarian port. But the issue I have, Murph, is that they actually, for the first time this last year, the reason that it went to $900 million is that they started including the fast offerings as part of the charitable donations. Typically, you don't count a fast offering as a charitable donation because I'm giving money to the church and then the church is giving the money to somebody else. That is technically my donation, not the church's donation. So if you eliminate the fast offerings, which hadn't been counted in times past, the church is extremely on par with what is done in the past few years of around $100 million. As you said earlier, since 1985, they've donated $3.5 billion. If you do the math, that's about $100 million a year. And if you strip out the fast offerings, then the churches last year did not increase their charitable um, givings. Yeah, we have a, a church full of very generous people. And uh, the LBS Church seems to be very um, eager when it comes to uh, charitable giving to say, oh, well, the church is all of the people together make up the church. But let me tell you, as soon as you um, go against what the church uh, teachings are or, or speak out against the church, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, the church is a big corporate entity and you're not part of it. Yeah, if you look at the article here, the, the church has a billion dollars in assets in Canada. That is just an extraordinary amount. And they take in $100 million per year, but they don't have any soup kitchens. They don't have hospitals. They don't have women's shelters. They only have a few bishop storehouses. And, um, you know, just people are very concerned about that. That's why there's the lawsuits. And again, the church was asked, speaking of transparency, they said, hey, will you please comment on um, any of these articles? No, the church is not going to uh, comment on any of these articles. And so the, the question that I have is, in, in a, the general public's mind, especially Canadians, Australians is the church actually becoming a symbol of greed because that's a, if you're an outsider who doesn't know all these nuances and you just know that you know the church is taking all these tax deductions is the church a symbol of greed or am I just making is are people making too much of this well I I think the church needs to try to correct that view because that is definitely the way it's being represented when you read through the article when you watch the videos that it's a religion disguised as a corporation or a business and i think the church would want to try to correct that because they would not want people to have that view of it in a pr terms and that is probably going to have an impact on members and their willingness to want to be paying their tithing so i think the church would need to correct that if that's how people are going to be viewing them yeah i think so um and by contrast, um, and going into our next article, actually, um, so we have the one of the wealthiest churches um, in the land. And then what about the individual members themselves? So this next article is going to uh, talk to us about where the average LDS uh, member stands with regards to how wealthy are they. Uh, we've always established that they're very generous at giving lots of donations for sure. But um, yeah, uh, so now we're going to look at this uh, article. It says Mormons are not rich after all from Pew Research. So I'm just pulling yeah, it up yeah, real quick yeah, here. The, you know, the stereotype here, here's our third article, which went along with these mm -hmm. other two. And this was released earlier this month on PewResearch.org. And it rank orders all the household income of U.S. religious groups. We're only talking about the United States here. Sorry, Murph, we're very U.S. focused, but what can I tell you? Um, and it, it says, okay, we got Jewish, Hindu, Episcopalian, atheists, agnostics, Mormons, Muslims, Catholic, and nothing in particular, and a bunch of other religions. And then it rank orders uh, the percentage of each of the religious groups and what their average total family income is. 
And based off of our last two articles, I think that – I will just speak for myself. I always was of the impression that Latter-day Saints are much more wealthy than an average uh, – uh, you know, than, than the average family in the United States or the average person or the uh, person of a different faith. Yeah. But that is not what we found. What did we find out in this article, Al? Uh, we found out that, well, <clears throat> I guess we wouldn't be too surprised to find out that uh, Jewish is at the top of the list. So the, the most wealthy tend to be Jewish, followed by Hindu, and then the Episcopal Church, or Episcopalians. Um, the LDS, they're kind of smack dab in the middle, maybe even a, a block south the, of, of uh, center. But boy, they're, uh, they're kind of just very much in the median where you've got, um, let's see, what percentage of it? 20% make over 100000 a year. 33% make between fifty uh, to 100000 a year. And then uh, you've got another 20% that make between 30000 and 50000 a year. And then on the bottom end of it, you have 27% that make less than $30,000 a year household income. So you've got, uh, and now on the bottom end of this, I, I guess I ought to give the whole uh, spectrum here. So the bottom end, you have Jehovah's Witnesses actually make uh, the least amount. They're the poorest. Right. Yeah, so Mormons, they're just barely more well-off than an average U.S. adult, just barely. And that, I, I don't know, maybe I'm ignorant, but that was not what I was expecting. I would have expected to see Latter-day Saints near the top, maybe in the top five. I don't know. Uh, did you check out this article, Murph? What did you think? No, I, I was kind of surprised the same. I, whenever I looked at it, yeah, they're kind of bang in the middle. Uh, sorry, there's someone drilling next door. You can hear that noise. Uh, but yeah, I kind of... It was a motorcycle. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think the assumption or sort of stereotype of people, um, members of the church, particularly in Utah, is, you know, business owners or, you know, wealthy businessmen, you know, conservative, well-off and... Uh, you, you would think maybe with the blessings of tithing, maybe that might have been higher as well. But maybe, maybe it's because of tithing, <laughs> they're more middle. But uh, yeah, no, they're buying in the middle, which did kind of surprise me, you know. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think about it, you know, how did I get such a backward understanding of uh, how much uh, Mormons were making? And I, I think about it, I think that the reason that I did is that if you look at the, uh, you know, who does the church place into high leadership positions? We're talking about bishops, stakes, presidents, area authorities, members of the first, second quorum of the 70 and apostles. If you think about who the church typically places into those, if you were to redo this household income for just bishops and above, I, I can guarantee you that they would be either at the top or very much near the top. And if you always put people into the high positions that are high income earners, businessmen, lawyers, successful uh, people who have successful companies, um, then you give the impression that uh, being a member of the church leads to a prosperity. And I think that I've fallen right into the stereotype uh, of, of believing that. And I bet you that a lot of other people have too. I think so. And especially when it comes to like the donations that the, the church has, we would assume that um, the, that the average LDS person, because they ha give so much, uh, that they have so much to give from. We find that, no, actually, they give a lot, but it's just from an average income. So I would expect this to mean that the, the average LDS person has a pretty low standard of living compared to uh, you know their, their neighbors that are not LDS. Especially uh, just, since they have bigger families. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot less money to go around, but they also uh, give 10% of that to the church. 
That is true. So let me ask you, Murph, if, if Latter-day Saints, if they are basically in the median of the United States, how, how did the church then get so wealthy? It, it would make more sense to me, you know, that the church has become the wealthiest church perhaps in the world, maybe only second to the Catholic Church. But the members are perfectly average. So I, it seems to be a juxtaposition. How could the church get so wealthy if its members are just, you know, average earners? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Well, I think, like we talked about earlier, the church has probably done well in saving and investing the money to to increase the savings that they have uh, but there's probably you know people in in the top bracket who, who are very wealthy who can contribute uh, to the church's uh, sort of tithing as well uh, that's that's true I also think about the fact that the church has a very successful and somewhat um, somewhat not well understood LDS philanthropies and that's where instead of when you die um, instead of giving your estate to your children instead you give your estate to the church and there is a I think a surprising number of people who uh, instead of leaving their money their 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 homes their farms their stocks instead of leaving it to their families that they leave it to the church and when you have that kind of a paradigm you're going to generate wealth in a very rapid manner Oh, absolutely. This, uh, you know, when you consider that, how many people have, uh, you know, amassed whatever wealth they have beyond the tithing that they've already been paying, beyond the fast offerings and other donations that they've been making. Um, and then you look into uh, what they leave at the end of their lives. Yeah, the church is uh, growing by leaps and bounds for sure. All right. You ready to take us on to the next article, Murph, or do you have anything else to say on this one? No, no, we can move on to the next one. Uh, All right. So, right, so what we're going to talk about next, I've been asked to lead this one. So uh, John DeLynn and the Open Stories uh, Foundation is getting sued. Legal action <gasps> is being taken against them. I know. It's oh, man. Crazy. So, um, so Jen, Jen Camp, she used to be uh, a co-host for Mormon Stories. I think she started, it was around maybe, what, March or April of this year. It was only for a few months mm-hmm. that yeah. she was co-hosting. Um, and then sometime during summer, it might have been the month of August, uh, she stopped co-hosting and, and was no longer working for them. I heard from my sort of informants that something had happened and that things could get ugly. Um, mm-hmm. But she she released a video on her channel. She started a new channel or podcast. I think it's Our Truth Be Told. Uh, mm-hmm. And she released a video, but it's it's been taken down. So unfortunately listeners won't be able to go and watch it but she talked about that she's going to be taking legal action and, and suing John Dolan and the Open Stories Foundation. She didn't go into specific details but she talked about in that video that she, um, she felt that she had a quite of a I don't want to put words in her mouth that I don't remember a word for it but like a traumatic unhealthy work environment experience. She talked about having an interaction with John Dolan. They had a meeting uh, she used words such as feeling intimidated and harassment. Now, she didn't specify what that is, you know, verbal, physical, sexual. We don't know at this stage. Uh, but then she says that she uh, reached out to the, the board of directors and she was then informed that she, you know, there was a restructuring and uh, she lost her position. And so she is going to be filing uh, a lawsuit against John Dillon. And you could see in the video, she was quite um, upset. She was quite emotional about it. She felt hurt and wronged. And she's seeking, you know, justice in some ways. Now, I think we have to be careful. I like to remain quite neutral because we, we've not heard anything from John Dillon. We've not heard 
any defense from him or the Open Stories Foundation. We don't even know all the details from Jen. You know, she's spoken out, but it's still quite vague. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what will happen, um, you know, when when they go to court, what, what the evidence will be, what the outcome will be. But this certainly will have um, a lot of media attention and it could have an impact on on the podcasting community depending on uh the outcome i don't know what are your guys's thoughts on on that but it's definitely quite uh quite juicy yeah for sure uh, we had you uh had this one up Murph, mostly because uh you were one of the few of our of us that was able to watch the video before they uh made it private so um yeah this one it uh it is going to be an interesting legal battle, and uh, I, I assume it will be fairly public. Um, I think that uh, at least Jen wants to have her story heard. Uh, I know that you know a lot of people didn't really care for Jen as a replacement for Kara, um, but she, I, I think she did the best job that she could. It just, I, I think a lot of it has to do with personality and just her. Uh, just you know the way that she is. I just don't think that people necessarily jive with her style compared to Kara's. And uh, yeah, you know. no, I, I personally felt um, you know Jen. I think she spoke a lot from her heart as a co-host, and it's it's not easy, you know, being in front of a camera or a microphone and talking about these things. And she's relatively new coming out of her faith crisis, so yeah, you can see that she's processing a lot of things. She probably is. Uh, experiencing maybe some trauma from leaving because it's a traumatic mm -hmm. thing and oh, you could tell sure. there were things they were talking about that maybe she wasn't completely familiar with and mm -hmm. it was emotionally triggering for her. so I think you know I could see those aspects that maybe she felt like yeah she just was on very quick to replace Karen um, mm -hmm. perhaps um, she didn't feel ready for it but I, there have been people who have been you know on Reddit and stuff smearing Jen that you know mm -hmm. she's wanting public attention and you know she was a terrible co-host I, I think you know people are entitled to their opinions I feel like that's very harsh yeah um, you know and I feel also that people should be careful and just wait for what comes forward and the evidence of it because at the minute we should just be neutral and we shouldn't take sides when there isn't we don't know enough of what really happened yeah, I mean, I don't. First of all, I don't think anyone can accuse the Mormon News Roundup of any bias, since we're covering both the church getting sued in Australia and John DeLynn getting sued. Talk <laughs> yeah. about, that's that. Let me tell you, folks, that is fair and balanced. Okay, mm -hmm. so <laughs> I love it. Okay, number, number two. Um, look, I, I, I just have a little bit of a problem with this, okay, because I did watch the video before it got taken down. So you're going to come out, you're going to say that John DeLynn uh, behaved inappropriately, that he wronged you, that he harassed you, that he demeaned you, that he did all of these things. And then people, I think you, you're putting that out in a public sphere. People are right to then say, okay, so can you give us some details? And then she says, no, I won't give you any details. All I can tell you is that I had a horrible, horrible experience and I'm going to take it to take it to court. It, for me, it really kind of feels a lot like mudslinging you mm -hmm. won't give us any details you're just smearing someone um and you're not providing any evidence i just the whole thing strikes me look I, I, if any if she was wronged then sure she should be able to take you know get recompense she should be able to go through the legal avenues of whatever it is but it just seems like it's just i don't know i feel very slimy about this whole thing i don't know mm -hmm. yeah my uh you know I, I i've seen some people on facebook do something similar where they're just like I, i'm not going to tell you what's wrong just pray for me right now everything's terrible and people will say, well, what's going on? I just told you, don't ask me what's wrong. <laughs> well, uh, then, then don't tell us. 
<laughs> well, that's fine if it's just you and your own personal life. If you say something's going on yeah. with me right now, leave me alone. But if you say, oh, yeah, this other person's uh, he's evil, he's horrible, he's reprehensible, and he did something against the law, and they said, oh, really, what happened? You say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I just have a bit of a problem with that. I, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but that does take us up, Murph, to our Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. So if you come on over to us on our on Anchor, you can uh, visit us with this podcast on. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on CastBox. And we're also on Anchor. If you come over to Anchor, you'll be able to interact with us in our uh, Mormon News uh, Roundup question of the week and also with our poll of the week. And this is our poll of the week. Al, will you read us the poll? Okay, so the question this week is, how do you feel about John DeLynn and the Open Stories Foundation getting sued? Okay, so, Murph, Murph mm -hmm. is it number one? Chickens coming home to roost. Oh, boy. I, I, I hope not. I hope <laughs> not. That's, uh, let's, let's hope not. Uh, I, you know, I hope that... Uh, yeah, I personally hope that uh, whatever happens, that the justice is served. But I hope that uh, people weren't harmed and, and wronged. Um, so I hope it's not number one, but is or is it number two? Vindicated, John Dolan is a big contrast to Joseph Smith, a great example for us who never got into any legal trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, Joseph Smith never did. No. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure about that one. Not too sure about that one. Or is it uh, number three? Anti-anti-Mormon lies. Wait, does that make them true? Right, because so most people consider John DeLynn to be an anti-Mormon. I don't really know if he considers himself to be that. But now we have – so we have anti-anti-Mormon lies. So that would – that's like a double negative, right? Uh, like yeah. A, that makes it like a Mormon truth then. If it's a double negative, yeah, that, no, just kidding. Yeah, that sounds like how you get to the truth through the Mormon church, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's number three. Or is it number four? The Open Stories Foundation is the ultimate oxymoron. Yeah, I mean, some people do kind of think, uh, not, not exactly sure what goes on behind those closed doors. Not too sure about that. Or is it uh, number five? The Lord commanded Nephi to sign an NDA. Right. Oh, you have to sing it, Murph. Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the yeah, Lord commanded me to sign an NDA. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's very familiar. Yeah, I think inspired by the primary today. They did the primary presentation. That that inspired my singing there. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think that's I I think that's in third uh, first Nephi chapter three. Not too sure about that, but uh, yeah, we got NDAs here. Not too sure about that. Or is it number six? So much for forgiving seventy times seven. Yeah, I, I thought that's what Jesus said, Al. That's exactly what he said. Yep. I, but that—that's not. But that's not if there's money on the line. Is that correct or? True. Yeah. They're, oh, they're, okay. Yeah. Contracts and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, if there's contracts, <laughs> then you don't you don't forgive it all if there's a contract. I got. It. Or is it number seven, Murph? Without consulting my rock in a hat, I'm not sure what to believe. Yeah, that, that would help. I understand. I've been told that that really helps when it comes to uh, getting uh, getting answers. I, I'm not too sure about it, but I have been I've been told that. So this honestly, Murph, this is the toughest poll I think that I've ever put to, that we've ever put together. That, that, that getting this is a really because all mm -hmm. of these answers these these are not good answers. But what, <laughs> what do you feel about John DeLynn and the Open Stories Foundation getting sued? Which one of these best represents how you feel? Oh, it's a tricky one. So I don't I don't own a rock myself, but I do own a tennis ball. So if I consult my tennis ball, maybe it will give me the answer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, my tennis ball just says U.S. Open 2020. So I don't know what that means. I don't think this works very well. Murph, you are starting to remind me of Hiram Page here, and I am greatly concerned. Oh, please don't let me get excommunicated. <laughs> 
That's uh, you know, Hiram Page did the same thing. He had his own Sierra Stone, just like you've got your own tennis ball, yeah. and that, that that didn't work out very well for him. So for our listeners, um, if you'll come over to our anchor, you'll be able to interact with us on our Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. Now, now we have three final news articles for this uh, Mormon News uh, Roundup uh, for our articles, and Murph, you have the next one as well. Yeah. So this next article, this is uh, an interesting one. So uh, I can't remember the name of the author, but it's about people who people who leave. Uh, stop mourning those who leave the church. And I believe this is uh, an active member who wrote this article and they refer to President Nelson's last general conference address. And he, he sort of makes a statement about grieving those who, who leave the church or who feel that membership is too hard. Uh, and I think I, I think he, he wasn't try and say it in so much a condescending way. I think he, he was just trying to say that he feels really sorry and sad for them. But the the author of this article was saying that, you know, the word grieve almost makes it sound like um like they've died. Like that's what that's what you do if somebody's died or if they, they're mm-hmm. lost, they're fallen, they've lost their salvation, you know, lost their eternal families. And that's often how people can view those mm-hmm. who leave. Um, which which I think can be you know quite harmful and and in his article he talks about how people who leave don't want to be grieved you know I, I did a very recent interview with a friend from my mission who's left the church and we did an interview on my channel and I just wanted her to share sort of her story her faith journey talk about her concerns and to my surprise she was in a very happy and a very healthy place she seems to have processed her her faith transition in a very healthy way. Um, and she seemed genuinely happy and had really positive things to share about her church experience. And, you know, she just felt like it, it's not for her anymore. She disagrees with um, some of the church's uh, history or its positions on, you know, LGBT or, you know, men holding the priesthood and things like that. But to me, like, like, who am I to say, oh, no, you have made the wrong decision, you're unhappy, you're miserable. Um, and and a, a core teaching of the church is agency, uh, the freedom to choose. And it also ties in with an article of faith, the freedom that all men have the right to believe and worship how, where and what they may. And we should have, we should allow people that freedom to believe what they wish and to make their own decisions in their own sort of spiritual life journey. Cause it's, you know, God's plan is one of agency. Um, if you believe in the LDS uh, plan of salvation, it was Satan's plan. He wants to force people to follow a certain system and to put people in a box. Um, and the article also talked about like horrible teachings, maybe in the past statements from church leaders, you know, saying that it's, it's better to die than to leave. The church. I understand to some members they would see it as well. They've they've lost their eternal family. They've lost their salvation, and that's why it's it's so serious. Um, but I feel like there can just be a lot of judgment. There can be a lot of mm-hmm. divisiveness. There can be a lot of labeling to those people who leave. I experienced it whenever I left, and I felt so misunderstood and so judged. And mm-hmm. there was very few people who wanted to just listen and empathize and just understand in a respectful way. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's the hard thing when people leave the church often family members can turn on them or can you know there can be divisions and the relationships can be strained just because mm-hmm. they no longer you know believe in the truth claims or go to church and i just feel like that is that what god would want yeah um, they, they can take it quite personal can't they For yeah sure. um it, 
it's like saying, well, I, 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 I am giving you the, the uh, right to exercise your agency. You can choose to go to outer darkness if you want, but don't expect me to be happy about it. Right. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> Cause I, I know I've heard it several times. Yeah. And that, that can just frustrate people more. And I understand like if, if they, they come from the position, well, if the church is true, then this is the one true path, but the, you know, we, we all sort of walk by faith, if that makes sense. So I think there should be yeah. understanding and empathy and humility. And in fairness to President Nelson, he actually gave a BYU um, address. It was like a devotional. And I actually really liked his quote in this. He talked about how, like, if people leave the church, you know, continue to love them. Uh, we shouldn't judge them for their decision. And in turn, you know, they shouldn't judge or disrespect you disrespect you if you decide to stay and your faith and i actually give kudos to president nelson for that i thought that was a really great quote i shared it Mm -hmm. i shared it in a recent elders quorum lesson most people really liked it there's one person that was kind of like oh no you know they're they're apostates if they leave (laughs) we we have to hate them (laughs) yeah that's not what jesus taught he he said don't judge your fellow man, don't judge anybody, which includes those who leave the church. And whether or not you believe that they're lost or they're fallen, like when you look at like the teachings of Christ, like the parable of the sheep, like they're not lost to Jesus. And like, if, if you believe in Jesus, then you should, and trying to follow him, you shouldn't be judging them. You should love them and leave them, leave them in your hands. And it shouldn't have to change your relationships. And even if you mm-hmm. disagree, there can still be, respect and empathy yeah. and understanding. That's, that's my take on it. And I agree so much with this our author of the article. For sure. Uh, this article was uh, by Gordon Monson. He's a columnist at uh, the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, just wanted to put that out there. But uh, also uh, to follow up with that is uh, the LDS Church. It, it, it is kind of hypocritical to judge people for leaving another religion, especially if, you've, uh, if you're sending missionaries out into the world um, expecting other people to change their religion over to yours. So, you know, you're going to be really uh, hard-nosed on people that leave your religion, but you're going to just welcome with open arms people that want to leave their, another religion. It just seems a little hypocritical to me. Yeah, because... Yeah, I mean... Oh, sorry, sorry, Divas. I was just going to say, you get people who would leave, say, being a Jehovah Witness, and they'd be like, oh, good for you. Like, you were really courageous and brave, you know, yeah. investigating your religion and, you know, questioning things. And now that you've gotten out of that cult, and yeah, it's 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 hypocritical. But then if they were to leave our church, you would say like, oh, well, you've been deceived and Satan's taken hold of your heart and you shouldn't have been asking questions or looking on the internet. Like, it, mm-hmm. it is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that there's a fine line between being sad, which I think is totally normal. For instance, you know, sure. if you're going to church and one of your friends says, you know, I'm not going to come to church anymore. Well, you're not going to see him on Sunday. You're not going to go. You're not going to be going to the temple with them uh, uh, once a month on, on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be with them on, uh, you know, the young men's night or young women's night or whatever it is or for the service projects. I think it is a natural reaction to feel sad if somebody leaves the church. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In yeah, fact, it would be. I think it would be very wrong if you didn't feel sad. I think that's normal. The difference is is between being sad and mourning for it, like you're dead, or or even quasi-shunning. I know the church technically doesn't practice shunning like the Jehovah's Witnesses, but it, it's a fine line between feeling sad and shunning other people. Yeah, I mean, if yep. you, it, yeah, you, you might uh, not consider it shunning, but uh, because you still invite your cousin that left the church to the family reunion, but just because he shows up to the family reunion doesn't mean you're going to go talk to him. 
yeah, it, it shouldn't impact your your relationships with people. And I think you can feel sad for someone, but you can show it by empathizing with them. And I think if, if you judge them or cut them off, that's not really, in my term, uh, in my view, grieving them leaving the church. That's you judging them and cutting them off. And people want to be validated. They want to be, you know, empathize. And often I think those people that are the most judgmental are the ones who understand the least probably the ones who aren't aware of what their problems and issues are yeah absolutely yeah absolutely now we've got two last articles here and uh murphs since you you look into the uh you know you look into the truth claims of uh of the church a lot and that's why when i came across this TikTok video it seems to be taking the internet here by a storm here and uh this was just released a couple of days ago here by uh scripture plus on TikTok. you know we like to cover all the angles here even for the young folks out there you know we, we search TikTok for the news articles and what she's uh, saying here is that new evidence for horses in the Book of Mormon, and she's saying that the Book of Mormon horses have finally been found. And she talks about a particular study here, which is put out by uh, Wade Miller, a BYU apologist, who published, I want to say, in the Journal of, I'm sorry, the Journal of Texas, in kind of an obscure Texas journal, in which they unearthed some uh, horses that were around during Book of Mormon times, and they radiocarbon dated the, uh, the, uh, the, the charcoal and the wood that was surrounding those horses, and they date right during the Book of Mormon times. In fact, they line up actually really, really well with uh, uh, where the Book of Mormon claims that there's horses. Um, I love the comment section in this. It says, uh, the comment says, they say, hey, thanks for putting together good stuff. Exmos, they're crying right now. You know, <laughs> all these faithful members are just jumping in on this. Uh, did, did you watch this? Um, did you watch this TikTok, yes. Murph? Yeah, I, I watched the TikTok whenever it came on. I, I saw it all, all over my Facebook page and even messaged some people. I was like, have they really found horses? Has that been confirmed? Because this has been uh, a really big anachronism that, uh, you know, people who leave or critics point to showing like, oh, the Book of Mormon isn't historical because there, there's no uh, horses found in the Americas. You know, the scientific consensus is that they were wiped out in the Ice Age, like 10,000 BC. So if the bookworm talks about it, you know, it's glaringly not historical. And whenever I first saw it, I was kind of like, you know, as a member, like confirmation bias, you're kind of like, mm -hmm. ah, this is cool. Like this could support the Book of Mormon. This is sure. more anachronism and it, it, you know, kind of faith promoting. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that TikTok video, it almost seems like this is a bullseye. Um, now, if you, if you look more carefully to what Book of Mormon Central has to say, and if you read through the study yourself, which I did, and I, I'm not a scientist, I don't have expertise. Uh, Simon Southerton weighed in his sort of scientific expertise why he says th these findings do not necessarily prove or confirm with any certainty that there were horses that existed during this time frame uh, but, but they say that you know the findings aren't conclusive yet like you said Devez it was the organic material around it like the charcoal and the wood and so forth mm -hmm. that our carbon date, the carbon dating in them dates to Book of Mormon times. Um, but it's possible that the bones could have been mixed in with it. So they can't say with any certainty that because uh, they haven't tested the collagen in the bones. Mm -hmm. And that would give it, that would probably be the most accurate test to determine if these Book of Mormon horse bones, which uh, were the horse bones of, uh, you know, the prehistoric horse before the, the, the Spanish came. Uh, so that would be the best way to test, you know, 
did these horses live to the Book of Mormon time periods? Yeah, because uh, they tested the the charcoal and the wood from uh, the layer of soil, right, that where the horse bones were found. Yeah. Um, I, you know, so I'm curious, like how deep they uh, they had to dig in order to unearth these uh, these bones, because if if it was say grave deep, um, then I guess that wouldn't be all that surprising to to find horse bones in a layer of soil. I mean, if we're talking about ten, twenty feet down where it's just been thousands of years of uh of dust and uh and earth uh covering it then you know probably something to it but um i i i think that there's several explanations that could go along with this uh, one of which is uh that um according to dna studies the primary ancestors of the uh the indigenous peoples of the Americas uh, came o- across from uh, the Bering Strait up in uh, uh, from Russia over to Alaska and down, and most of them come from East Asia, like uh, Mongolia. Well, uh, Genghis Khan was, uh, you know, he conquered most of the world on horseback. So the Mongolians they had horses. So sure, if they were coming across the Bering Strait, they, I don't see any problem with them bringing horses. But uh, one thing that we do have is, you know. This doesn't uh, make uh, ex-Mormons cry because this is just, you know, horses were around during the time of the Jaredites, during the time of the Nephites. Um, there doesn't explain anything about elephants or, um, you know, uh, Nephi being able to escape uh, Jerusalem while it's under Babylonian captivity. So. Yeah, the, it, it potentially it opens the door potentially for the uh, presence of horses. It's certainly not a bullseye. It is certainly not a smoking gun. Sure. And as Simon Southerton said, because you uh, tested the charcoal and the wood, that is one of the least uh, most valuable ways of testing uh, of radiocarbon testing something. They tested the collagen from the bones, but the problem is that the figures were inconclusive. So I think far from saying this is a bullseye, this is uh, just something to be uh, more considered. The fact mm-hmm. also that it came from BYU apologists and in an obscure journal and that the uh, citations that they put into the article were from a very old sources some of them were 20 30 40 years old uh, again this is definitely not something that I would want to uh, hang 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 my testimony on but I do want to say isn't the isn't the horses in the book of mormon is that like the easiest anachronism for people to attack i think that is probably is that like the easiest it's, anachronism in the book of mormon it's to one hop the big, on it's one of the biggest ones i think critics would list is probably one of the top 5 um i even know <laughs> Uh, a woman from my stick who I think left the church over horses. So then if, if this were to be found not to be an anachronism, then, you know, people would say, oh, it's one less anachronism. And maybe this might help strengthen the case for a historical book form. But like you said, it's not definitive yet. It's not conclusive. So mm-hmm. even though, you know, members who believe that Book of Mormon is true, confirmation bias you'd want to just jump on this but i think we should be hesitant until further testing can be done to validate the results but even then if it does confirm there were horses um during book mormon times in the americas it still does not uh prove the book mormon is true there still has to there's still that element of faith and epistemic humility that members would have to have but i suppose it would be one less anachronism so to speak but yeah you brought up uh, with uh, the Native Americans and DNA, which uh, is, is still uh, a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you yeah, come what, on what, over, go uh, ahead. What, I was just going to say, illusion. One uh, one touchdown does not win a football game. Uh, just ask BYU. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
yeah if you come on over to anchor this is our open uh, open-ended question of the week it's uh, uh how do you feel about the possibility of newly discovered horses on the american continent during the book of mormon times you can um come on over to anchor and submit that to us by the way uh we are our official sponsor is signature books we want to thank them so much and if you uh, like what we do and you want to hear more of us you can come on over to patreon just search for mormon news roundup we have a couple of tier levels um if you feel like you can support this podcast we would be very very grateful that does take us to our final news article of the week yep this one is a, a real interesting article um from byuidaho.edu we've got a young lady who is a paralympian the, who received an unexpected mission call um, Ooh. yeah so the article is by isabella salazar on october 24th and uh, Taylor Talbot, she is a, an LDS uh, young lady who's a Paralympian. She's blind, and uh, she's attending BYU-Idaho as a student currently. Um, but she also is legally blind and uh, runs track and field in the uh, – she ran track and field in the 2020 Paralympics in Tokyo, Japan uh, that year. So she has said that she's always wanted to serve a mission – uh, but she's also been really dedicated to um, to the Paralympic to Paralympics, and she's uh, done very well at that. So uh, she kind of took the approach of, well, you know, ever since she started, you know, training with the with the Paralympians and uh, you know uh, getting to know the people down there, she started sharing the gospel with them and telling them about the church, and uh, she's been able to uh, you know get a lot of people interested. So she thought, well, maybe this will be my mission. And uh, so she started praying about it, and the Lord said uh, to her, no, you don't need to go on a mission, um, because this is kind of your mission, is uh, uh, performing in the Paralympics. And, uh, you know, you're, you're putting up a great uh, face for the church by doing this. Um, so she didn't bother to uh, fill out papers and go talk to her bishop or anything. She just uh, uh, decided, well, this is how it's going to be, and then the um, let's see, President Nelson actually came and gave a talk, and uh, she heard it where he said that, you know, people, um, let's see what it says, um, he gave a devotional to Latter-day Saints in California. He said, no matter where you are, whether you're in Northern California or all the way down to Chula Vista, which happens to be where she was uh, living at the time, you're here to preach the gospel. And she says, that's when it hit me. Oh my gosh, I'm on my mission. So... Yeah, Talbot is, uh, you know, she was so thrilled about that confirmation, so she uh, sent a, a letter to President Nelson thanking him for the devotional. And then a little bit later, her stake president calls her up and says, yeah, um, the uh, the prophet would like to extend a call to you to go on a service mission. Wow. So, yeah, so uh, against her will, I mean, the, the, the title of the article is a little misleading, but because she, uh, she was perfectly right. fine with it, right? No. Go ahead, sorry. Sorry, Divas. You go ahead. Oh, whenever I have a, a, a clickbait article, I, you, you can say anything you want as long as you put a question mark in it. So that's why I said against her will, because she did not submit an application to go on this mission. Taylor Talbot is a BYU-Idaho student who recently received her mission call. However, she didn't submit an application. This is unprecedented. Yeah, like uh, what I find kind of cool about, about this story is um, like because there can be a lot of guilt and shame for people who don't go on missions, particularly the young men, because it's considered like a, an obligation or a priesthood duty. Now, she's she, she's a woman. There's not the same um, obligation, although 
talking and hearing from you know some women they they can feel that pressure to still go on a mission and they they feel like you know you have to serve a two-year full-time mission in order to share the gospel and i thought it was cool that she received an answer not to go and i i i I sort of like that that like she felt like she got that personal answer from god that no that's not the right thing for her i felt going on my mission was like the right thing for my life and like i felt like it was the right thing in my next step in my journey but there's been people i know who either went on a mission and came back early and it was really harmful for them with their mental health and such or people who who didn't go and, and they feel guilt and shame or like they, they're a failure and i like how like there's so many ways you can still serve or still share the gospel even if you don't go on a full-time mission uh, I think it's awesome that she gets to pursue her dream as, you know, a Paralympian. And then she was, you know, given this service mission opportunity as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would say it was against her. Well, I know the, the normal process is you fill out an application. Um, I think she wrote a letter to President Nelson and then he wrote one back offering this as like an option. And then she she took it. Uh, and this is sort of like her being able to live her dream while still sort of sharing the gospel and I think it's good that the church is providing different options for like you if you can't if doing a two-year full-time mission abroad isn't uh suitable for someone that they're they can do a service mission in their local area now the only thing that I as I was listening to putting on my critical hat was I thought well was this sort of a special alliance or was this perhaps favoritism towards her because she's maybe uh, a famous sort of Paralympian that maybe other people may not, you know, have been given the same sort of uh, reward or opportunity. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. Uh, they, yeah, that's definitely a thought that went through my mind as well. Steve Young was probably uh, the most uh, famous where he was told not to uh, serve a, a full-time mission because he was drafted to the, uh, the 49ers. So um, they said, yeah, you'll do a lot more good uh, getting – uh, the word of the church out that way through playing football than uh, you would by going and knocking on doors like other uh, you know kids. But uh, they've also done similar things with uh, like Elizabeth Smart was uh, you know encouraged. She was a very prominent LDS person from Salt Lake City was encouraged to serve a mission, so she served a mission to Paris, France. Uh, hers was full time proselyting. David Archuleta, another one that uh, was in, encouraged to serve a full time mission. Um, so they, they do like to get, um, you know, success stories out there, uh, in my local area, there was a a young lady who had suffered a disaster and, uh, I don't know if she applied to service as a service missionary, but, uh, she has been, uh, for the last couple of years, uh, growing flowers and making flower arrangements for the local chapels and the temple here in the, the local area. So. I know that the church really likes to get those success stories and inspiring stories out there. So. Yeah, if you think about the early church history, you know, back in the days of, you know, even back in the days of Kirtland and, and Nauvoo, you didn't submit an application to go on a mission. Yeah. You were called on a mission. And in fact, that was true even in the Utah years all the way up until, I don't know, like the early 1900s. A, mm-hmm. a senior father could be given a mission call from his bishop, even though he had five, six, ten children. He'd go on a mission for several years, three to seven years. There was no application. Your bishop was supposed to know who know his flock and know who was supposed to go he sent that up to salt lake and you got your call so um yeah i don't know maybe we're taking a step back <laughs> uh into the past but um you know it's not all that uncommon 
Yeah. It, it seems like they're uh, starting to drive that a uh, lot more strongly lately amongst the, the youth is trying to call them in to meet with the bishop and say, you know, have the bishop say, I uh, feel inspired that you should serve a mission so they get a lot more uh, young people to, to go. Um, also, I, I think, I, I think, <laughs> think and feel at the same time. So I think that they um, are using uh, service missions a lot more. And I, I like to see that actually. In fact, yeah. my own, ne- my own nephew, um, my brother's his bishop. Um, he was called to serve a mission this last summer and uh, he got to the area he was supposed to serve and like a week into it, it was just too much uh, mentally for him. So he rolled it over into a service mission. He went home and uh, he's going to be serving as a, a service missionary for the next two years from his own house. So, yeah, I, I mean, think there needs to be good options. Yeah, I think it's it's good to have that option because, like I said before, like, there can be a sense of like judgment or people feeling like a failure if they, you know, try to go on a two-year mission and end up coming home early, or if or if they don't go, you know, there can be that that stigma. Uh, and while I while I feel like my two-year mission experience was amazing, I, I absolutely loved it in so so many ways, and I would never want to discourage anyone from going to mission. I, I also feel that um, it would be wrong to tell someone that's what you must do. Like if they're 18 years old and they're thinking like, oh, maybe I should go to uni or like, I don't feel like I should be the one to tell them, no, you must go on a mission. That is the next step in your journey. And also those who do a service mission, I think that's also another great thing as well that um, the churches, it's good that they're providing that option for those who may be a two-year full-time mission abroad in a foreign country away from their family which you know may not be the safest uh location as well it's good they're providing Mm -hmm. another option you bet hey uh thanks so much murph for coming on the mormon news roundup we really appreciate it and if you're um, you're ever back in Hey, we, you know, maybe in a couple of months time frame, if, uh, you know, if you're still, uh, if you're still willing, we'd uh, love to have you back on anytime. You just send us a message and we'd be uh, happy to have you on anytime. And that bring, brings us, by the way, to next week, uh, uh, guys, we have RFM Radio Free Mormon, the man, the myth, the legend. He is coming on to the Mormon News Roundup next week. So you're not going to want to miss it. You know, Murph has left some big shoes to fill, though. So that's going to be, you know, that's going to be tough for, our, uh, for RFM to fill well, those shoes. RFM is the Bigfoot of uh, the Mormon <laughs> podcasting world. He's, he's so he's so articulate he's so intelligent and he's so funny and witty i love rfm even in my most tbm mode rfm just i just love that guy yeah he's great no it's, it's been su- super fun coming on here having this dialogue and i'd be more than happy to come back again it's been refreshing talking about like current church news because this is something i don't dive into that much i'm more interested mm-hmm. in in the history aspect and truth yeah. themes so it's been like a nice breath of fresh air to talk about these mm-hmm. things and it's been super fun uh, that is one of the fun things about uh, doing the current events is that this is the the history of the future that uh, is happening right around yeah. us now. And it's so important to be aware of these things as well, like what's going on in the mm-hmm, contemporary sure. church as well. It's good to be filled in. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us this week. And um, we want to give a, a shout out to Weird Alma for this episode's music. And thank you so much for joining us and ruminating with us on the great and spacious beehive. And remember, remember... No unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan.
Satan, Satan, Satan. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 